We are going to be in the book of Hebrews today, but we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 28, because we're going to be speaking about the covenant, the old covenant and then the new covenant. There was a covenant given to Moses, and that came with a number of laws. 613 commandments encompassed the law that was given to Moses. The Ten Commandments are just ten of the 613 commandments. So there were many commandments. If you wanted to follow them today, you could only follow about a third of them, no matter how hard you tried, because two-thirds of them revolve around temple worship. And the Jewish temple doesn't even exist today anymore. I mean, the Temple Mount is there, but, but there's a mosque there right now, and there's no Levitical system in place. But we're going to look at in Deuteronomy 28 and look at the blessings and the cursings that were part of following this covenant or disobeying the old covenant. And so this is concerning the old covenant that was given to the the Jewish people. And this is apropos because, remember, in the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews that lived in Judea, around Jerusalem. So they had a context for this. It would be, there would be no context for a Gentile. But look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. Now it shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do according to all, to do all his commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. So I want to just stop there and I want to point something out. In, in the first sentence it says, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today. You see that word all? You can't pick and choose. They couldn't pick and choose. Some people want to go back to the law of Moses today and choose certain laws of those and say, we really ought to obey those. I say, well, what about these other ones? Oh, no, no, that, that, those are just ceremonial things. Those don't count. The scriptures never made that distinction. They had to obey all the laws. If you want to obey One of the laws, a group of laws, that's fine for you. But as soon as you put it upon somebody else, that's legalism. And you can't pick and choose. You're going to have to obey all of them because Paul tells us in the New Testament, if you disobey one, you're guilty of them all. And so here, this is what you get if you obey all the laws that were given. The 613 laws that were given. This is what you're going to get. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Deuteronomy 28, verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way, and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beasts, in the the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you the good storehouses, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you only will be above, you will not be underneath. If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully, and do not turn aside from any of them, 
the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods and serve them. So you have 13 verses and then a 14th one that, that just, just uh, uh, bookends this. You have 13 verses of blessings. 13 verses of just blessings. I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? And my wife prays this over my kids. I mean, this is amazing. Go ahead, call it down. That's fine. But you know, you're not allowed to stop there. So you got you got thirteen verses of blessings. This little intermediate verse, uh, uh, verse fourteen. So we'll throw that in with them, and then you've got verse fifteen through sixty-eight. So that's fifty-four more verses of cursing if you don't obey. Let's just take a peek at that. Verse fifteen. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all His commandments and His statutes which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew and they will pursue you until you perish. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed." I don't even want to read anymore because it's scary. I mean, that's, 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 all of this goes down until, all the way down until, uh, uh, verse 58. And so you've got, you've got 14 verses of blessing. You've got 54 verses of cursing. So you have approximately three times more cursing than you do a blessing. Do you ever think of it that way? That's the old covenant. That's the old covenant. All right. Now let's turn to Hebrews. So so let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And we're going to start reading. And and, 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 uh, uh, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 8 says, Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. This is tremendous because you get, you get through all of this stuff that's been said. And so now the author says, now the main point I've been saying is this. Boom. Well, what was he talking about just before this? So if you go to the end of chapter 7, the end of chapter 7 of Hebrews says in verse 25, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives, why does He live? To pray for us. He lives to make intercession for us. That's really gracious. I mean, remember, He's God in heaven. He could have lived to torture us. But He lives to pray for us. Then it says in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 7, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, So look at the the terms in which it speaks of Jesus. 
And then he says the main point of now of Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. The main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest. We have a high priest Jesus who prays for us. What's the obligation of a priest? To offer up sacrifice, to offer up prayers on our behalf. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And then he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So Jesus is seated. That means he's done with his work. Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father who is in heaven. But he doesn't remain there just seated. In fact, there are several times in the New Testament where we see that Jesus is standing. Jesus stands to receive his saints into heaven. So when Stephen was being stoned to death, Stephen was being killed, he said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand. Jesus was standing to receive Stephen. He met with Paul when Paul was in prison in Jerusalem. It says, The Lord stood at my side and said, You have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem. You must witness now in Rome also. So you see, the Lord actually stands. The Lord does stand. And so let, let's, let's read on down into verse of, of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So what he's about to do is compare the old covenant. We read a part of the old covenant in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. 14 verses of blessing, 54 verses of cursing. That's the old covenant. 613 commandments. And then he says he's bringing in a new covenant. He says it's a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Better promises. Well, remember those first 13 verses of the promises? Those were pretty good. I mean, I'd love to have those. He says he's got better promises than that for us. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says... So in other words, we read last week in, in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it says that the law was given as a tutor. The law was given as a tutor to show us that indeed we are sinners. Indeed we are sinners. In other words, he said, Paul said, I wouldn't have known about coveting if the law didn't say, thou shalt not covet. And then he fell into coveting, which is desiring something that, that, that somebody else has. Remember, coveting's inside. Unto the law, he was found blameless. People could not find anything against him, according to Romans chapter 7. He was found blameless. But within, he was struggling with coveting. And this is so much of what we deal with. From without, we may, we, we may seem righteous to people. But whoever we are, we know that our own thoughts condemn us. Our own thoughts condemn us. That we know. If our thoughts for one hour were projected on a screen for everybody to see, we would be terribly embarrassed. Our thoughts condemn us. And that's what Paul says, coveting got me. Coveting of every kind. It wasn't coveting just one little thing. He says, I was coveting everything. For finding fault with them, so verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 8, for finding fault with them, that's the people behind it. He says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand 
to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And when he said a new covenant, he had made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is already is ready to disappear. What the what the psalm what, what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying it's ready to dis- disappear. The whole Levitical system is ready to be done away with. He didn't know the exact date, but remember this is written between 66 and 68 A.D. A.D. He didn't know that that it was going to be in 70 A.D. that the destruction was going to come of the temple, but he knew it was coming shortly. And the destruction was to come in, in uh, four, two to four years. So he says, it's going to be done away with. Your whole Levitical system is going to be done away with. Nonetheless, he, he says, days are coming. I'm going to bring a new covenant. So he's quoting from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 actually talks about this passage. This very passage, Jeremiah 31, 31, is where this, it's a long quote. And, and Hebrews is like no other book in the New Testament, by, by multiple times quoting long passages from the Old Testament. And he is applying it to that day. He said, that was the prophecy, now it's being applied. He says, a new covenant's going to come. And he's saying, guys, the new covenant's upon us. He says, it's not going to be like the old covenant that I made with your fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Look at the picture that he gives us. Israel coming out of Egypt, he took them by the hand. Who do you take by the hand? You take the one whom you love. You take the child whom you love and you lead them by the hand. He led them by the hand out of Egypt. He gave them this covenant. The covenant came. Why did the covenant come? It it come. It tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 7. The covenant came. The, the, The covenant to Moses came. The law came to Moses because of disobedience. It was the disobedience of the people that brought the law of Moses upon them in order to show them of their sin. That's what Galatians teaches us. We read that passage last time. It teaches us that we are sinners. You cannot, it's very hard to leave the person to Jesus Christ until that they are convinced that they are a sinner. So we present, the way we present the gospel is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is in that, in that they're being sinners now, they need a savior. He showed us of our sin. He showed them of their sin through their inability to keep the law. And human beings are unable to keep the law. Whether the law comes from heaven or on earth, human beings are unable to keep the laws. And he says, he says this showed us that we are sinners in the need of grace. He took them by the hand and he led them out. But they didn't continue in the covenant. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Because they broke the covenant. A covenant is made between two parties. They broke the covenant, not just once, but repeatedly they broke the covenant. And repeatedly they were warned. Repeatedly they were warned. And, and, uh, and, and still, they broke the covenant. One chapter, portion of one chapter, Deuteronomy 28 
he gave them multiple warnings of the things that would happen to them if they didn't follow his ways. He says in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 8, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So he says, here's the new covenant. Let me encompass this for you. After that old covenant is done away with, I'm going to put my laws into their minds and I'm going to write them on the tablet of their hearts. In other words, we have many commandments given to us in the New Testament. But we don't teach those commandments specifically as Jews learn the 613 commandments. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. We don't teach it that way. Because these are embodied in a broad tent of the Lord. And once you understand the Lord, you understand the parameters in which He lets you move. <clears throat> and then, then you're caught up by the Scriptures. Sometimes you read a verse and you go, wow, i gotta, I got to pull back into this. G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. If you have a fence around a playground, parents can rest easy. You let your kids go in there. And they are protected by this fence. But all of a sudden you say, hey, I, I don't like all these rules. I don't like these fences. What are these fences? What are these, what are these fences for me? So you take out the fence. Now you've got it. come with a hundred different rules for your kids. Don't go beyond this point because there's snakes in the grass once you get into the high grass over there. Don't go over to this side because that's a bad neighborhood. You could be snatched and be in trouble. And oh, that highway on that side? Don't wander over there. You're going to get squashed by a car. All right? So you've got to put all these rules around them when you lose this broad fence of the Lord. And this is actually what's happening in our society. You want to break down the walls of God that He's put around us to protect us? Then you've got to come up with a hundred rules and regulations for people and keep adding more and more laws according to this person's feeling and that person's feeling. They say, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. In fact, you shouldn't even think this. In fact, if you think this, that bothers me that you would even think this. So you don't even know what I'm thinking. Yeah, but you are who you are, so you probably think this. And you end up chasing all these ghosts that don't even exist. He says, I'm going to put my laws in your heart. And so when I think about my life as a believer, I'm not following a prescribed set of rules and regulations. I don't do that. I just enjoy the Lord. This amazes my Orthodox Jewish friends. So when I go to Israel, I meet with these Orthodox folks. And one day I was, I was so the way, the way professors visit a university, they're visited to come and speak and give a lecture at a university. So the lecture is usually in the later afternoon. And Prior to that, you're going and you're visiting the offices of many of the professors in your field. So I'll go over to this professor's office for 45 minutes and then they lead me to the next office. And I hear about their research and because they're going to hear about my research that afternoon. So I learn all of this stuff as I go from office to office. So I get to this one lady's office and, and uh, she was at her computer when I was brought into her office and I, I met her and she said, she said, I, I just finished reading your website. Well, I have a personal statement there that talks about how I'm a Messianic Jew, meaning I was born and raised a Jew, but I believe Jesus is the Messiah now, and, and the impact of God on my life. 
And, she, and uh, so she said, I just finished reading your website, and I just want you to know that my grandfather used to be the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, and I'm an Orthodox Jew. I said, oh, well, then maybe you don't like me. And, and she says, oh, no, no, I'm open-minded. I said, okay. So we just started talking. We just started talking. And as we're talking, she's beginning to speak about the scriptures. I'm speaking about the scriptures. And the context here is the Old Testament. Because anything that I would say about the New Testament, she doesn't regard the New Testament as an authoritative book. So the whole thing has to be around the Old Testament. And that's just fine with me. I can, I can deal with that. In fact, it was Jesus on the road to Emmaus used just the written scriptures. The New Testament hadn't yet been written. Jesus had just risen from the dead. Nothing had been written yet. He used only the, new, the Old Testament to show them that the Messiah was to come, that he was going to die for their sins, and he was going to raise from the dead. He sh- explained to them using the context of their own scriptures. So I'm very comfortable with that. So we started talking about the scriptures, and she was actually teaching me things I didn't even know because they look at it in a little bit different way. And then I was teaching her things she didn't know. And then after we spoke for about 30 minutes, she started crying. I said, why are you weeping? She said, you know, you read the scriptures because you love it. She said, in my orthodoxy, I have to say this prayer, light this candle, do this, do that, read this thing, read this in in the Talmud, read that. She said, I have no freedom to just enjoy it like you do. She said, I envy what you have. Here she is, surrounded by all of these rules and regulations. And I am given this broad fence which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and your soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You do this, it'll take care of everything. That's what Jesus said. But she's got a million rules and regulations she's got to do because remember, Orthodox Jews are not just under the 613 commandments. What happened after the first diaspora is they said, we really messed up. That's why we ended up in Babylon. We better put some protections around this. So for every one of those laws, they added many, many more human-made laws to make sure you didn't go near breaking one of those commandments of God. So, for example, around the Sabbath day, they have more than 1,000 commandments just around the Sabbath day. I mean, try to keep up with all of that. It's going to keep you really busy. So I was talking with another Orthodox Jewish professor at another university who he and I became good friends, and he came and he did a sabbatical here at Rice, and he was in my lab, and we were talking, and I told him what this professor at the Technion had said to me, because he's also an Orthodox Jew, as she is, and he knows her, of course, and he said to me, he said, I envy you for the same thing. I envy you for the same thing. He said, in fact, after I met you, and we had our first conversation, I went back to my synagogue, and I told them, I'm not reading the Talmud, anymore until I go back and I read the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, the scriptures, and just get the picture as you have it from beginning to end. Do you see the freedom we have in Christ? Jesus said, if you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, this is going to give you this this outer surrounding. You'll be free in here. 
There's all this other things in here that, that you can enjoy. You, you don't have to be, say, you got to read this at this time. This is why I never put upon people, you know, I like to rise up in the morning and read and pray. And I encourage people to do this, but I don't put this upon you as if this is a rule and regulation. You read when you want. The scriptures encourage us to read, but it's ultimately up to you. I have a pattern in which I read. You can keep go with any pattern you want. There are patterns that work better than others, but they're not dictated to us. He says, I'm going to put my laws into their minds and I'm going to write them on their hearts. Do you see how freeing this is? How freeing it is. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me. And I looked at this, I pondered this. What do you mean, Lord? Teaching all, I'm always teaching people about the Lord. Then I started reflecting. Okay, I remember the day that I got saved, November 7th, 1977. When I bowed my knee to the Lord and I said, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins and come into my heart. And I was all alone in my room and I just, the presence of God just filled that room. And I didn't know what to say to anybody because I was a Jewish kid from New York City. What am I going to say? And it was two weeks later from the guy, the guy who had told me about the Lord. He asked me, he said, Jim, have you received the Lord? I said, I think I have. Why do you ask? He said, you haven't stopped smiling for two weeks. I knew something changed in me. I was two weeks old in the Lord and I knew the Lord was with me. You can take a one-year-old kid. Now, I've had four children. All of them passed through the age of one. One-year-old kid. Every time I would come home, they were in their high chair. They, all of my kids, all they ever did was eat. My wife always fed them. I mean, constantly eating. Can you imagine how much my wife's going to feed our kids? Every time I'd come home, they'd be in the high chair eating. And I'd come home. They'd see me, the one-year-old. And they start flailing their arms and kicking because they know I'm about to pick them up and throw them in the air and throw them on the couch and start tickling them and playing. They knew me. They were only one year old and they knew me. Now they didn't know my occupation. They didn't know what chemistry was. They didn't know anything about the periodic table. They, they, do, they knew none of that good stuff. But, but they, they knew me. They knew me. I knew the Lord instantly when He came into my life. I knew God. I knew He was with me. I had the sense of His presence. All of a sudden, things changed. The Word of God opened to me. I didn't know much about Him. I didn't know... All I, all I knew was that Jesus had died for me and risen from the dead. I didn't know all these other things, that you know, all of this theology, all the New Testament stuff. All, I didn't know anything. You say, oh, you're a Jew. You knew all of that. No, I was a, I was a, a, a secular Jew. That means like a secular Baptist. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about, about the Bible or about God. But I knew Him. I didn't know about Him, but I knew Him. This is exactly what He does. He says, I'm going to come upon you and you will know Me. Don't, you're not going to say, know the Lord, for all will know Me. I was brand new in the Lord, but I knew God. Something happened in my heart. I didn't know his occupation. I didn't know all the stuff that he does and, you know, all, all the, the things that, that he's doing. And nor did I know much about his word, but I knew him. This is what he's talking about. 
I'm going to drop this in their heart. It says, from the least of them to the greatest of them. In other words, the, the moment a person is saved, right there a person becomes different. The Holy Spirit enters their life and they know God. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I mean, how, how, how would you like verse 15 through 68 of Deuteronomy chapter 28? Verses right here, verses this verse 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. I will take Hebrews 8.12 over Deuteronomy chapter 28.15 through 64 any day of the week. Any day. It is so much better. Can you imagine having to live under Deuteronomy chapter 28? I mean, there's a lot of curses there. And you can't just say, well, Lord, I'll, I'll just take this verse and that verse I won't. You can't do that. I mean, the law was a whole thing. Do you see how much better this covenant is? That's why when he says up in, 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 verse, uh, in verse 6, he says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is a mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Do you see how this is better? It's so much better. I would much rather have... This verse 12, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now God, in His divine wisdom and mercy, allows us to remember our sins, lest we, we, we become so prideful. But He doesn't remember them. So after we confess these things to the Lord, we go back, we say, Lord, remember I did that? Just, no. Remember I, I did? No. I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. God is able to separate Himself such that He does not even remember them. We might remember them. He doesn't. That's how merciful He is. In Deuteronomy 28, He's checking off every box. He doesn't forget any of our sins in Deuteronomy 28. I am so glad for the New Testament, for what Jesus has done, that we know Him instantly. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's trying to get through to these people. This is so much better covenant. There is this freedom in Jesus Christ that you have to enjoy the Word of God. You don't have to light this candle and say this prayer and do this and offer up this animal and run off here and run off there and go to Jerusalem three times a year and do all these things. You don't have to do that. You can just enjoy the Lord. I mean, isn't that so much better? Just enjoy the Lord. Think about that. The treasure we have in just going in and enjoying our Father's presence. So that when we go, we just flail in our arms. Lord, this is great. You know, I'm going to spend time with you today. The excitement of knowing the Lord. This is what he's talking about. A better covenant founded upon better promises. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for a better covenant that has been enacted upon better promises. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done, for the freedom that we have in Christ to enjoy you and to enjoy the Father. How you promise us that you would make your abode with us. Lord, thank you for that truth. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. 
for the kindness that he displays to us. Thank you, Lord, that we live under a better covenant, that you remember our sins no more. You forgive us of our iniquities and you remember our sins no more. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the treasure that we have in Jesus. Lord, take these young people. Draw them close to yourself, I pray. May they learn to love the great things that you have provided for them. And Lord, for those here who do not know you, I pray that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life so that they too would understand what it is to know the Lord from that very moment that they would know the Lord. Your graciousness abound, I pray, upon these young lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.